Okay, but but Yom Kippur is like that's where it gets real, right? That's like where we stop pretending it's fluffy and nice and sweet and spiritual, and it's just like really about like scary, right? Right? Maybe not. Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversation by regular people and for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Hey, Consciously, welcome back. Hope you had a great Rosh Hashanah and uh, we're headed into Yom Kippur. Actually, here at Consciously, we are barreling towards our 100th episode which was a goal at the beginning to try to get to 100 episodes. And we're about to do that, which is really, really exciting. I have to tell you. And I have something planned. I don't know if it's going to work out, um, but if it does, it's going to be super cool. But first, before we get to Yom Kippur, if you're new to the podcast, do me a favor, subscribe, give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, all those places. Also, uh, share with your friends. Word of mouth is a great way to spread the good word. Also, if you're into the social media thing, keep us in mind on Instagram and Facebook at The Light Revealed. If you've been around for a while, you'll have noticed that I'm kind of not really posting on the Consciously 62 one. Uh, if you want to check out those posts, just to find everything on The Light Revealed, trying to streamline everything, get it all together. Also, if you want to reach out, ask us a question, or just connect, you can email us at consciouslythepodcast at gmail.com. Love that stuff. Or you can reach out to us on Instagram uh, at The Light Revealed or Menachem Puzz. That's my personal one. And we definitely connect there. I don't really look at Facebook very often. I post there, but I don't really look there. So not a great way to get in touch with me. Okay, so Yom Kippur. Tshuva. Um, what's it about? Now, I had a question for a long time. You know, I write in my book, uh, if you read it, Consciously Six Steps to Living Vibrantly with Our Creator. I, I talk about the idea that God is ever-present in our lives. That, uh, you know, in the language of Panimi Satara, let's asar panimi there's no space devoid of God, and therefore we couldn't get closer to God if we tried. Now, what's kind of been bugging me for a long time, even though I didn't, I didn't make up that idea, I just adapted it, is the fact that in the Svarim HaKadoshim and in the Sifri Musr, and even in Pesukim itself, it implies the fact that there can be a state of a lack of connectedness, a lack of kirva, and measures which we can take in order to generate kirva. In fact, Chazal say that in the Aserah Simei leading up the days leading up to Yom Kippur, it's very important that we take advantage of them because we are closer, so to speak, than God. And the question emerges, how could we be closer to God? God fills the space of our reality. That seems weird. Like, we can't get closer to him. How could we be closer to him? He's literally inside of us. We can't get any closer. I mean, we could feel closer, but how could we get closer? And this has a lot to do with the whole idea of Yom Kippur and the whole idea of tshuva, which is trying to remove those things which block us off from God. So the question is, are we blocked off from God or are we not blocked off from God? Okay, but before we get to that, I wanted to tell you a story. I've never recorded this story, and I don't want to go into it too long because it could take a long time. But I heard an authentic story about Rosh Karbach that's been said over many times, and the, but the only reason I say it over uh, is because I heard it secondhand. I heard it from someone else that I heard it firsthand from somebody that it happened to, and I heard it like literally 15 minutes later. So I feel very fortunate, and I've shared the story many times, so if you've heard it from me, I apologize. Anyway, I'm not going to go into all the details, but basically, there were two Hasidic Jews that walked into a pizza store, and they ran into Rishlomo Karbach. One of them had an overwhelming, he reports that he had an overwhelming urge to not say hello to Rishlomo and to really confront him for what he 
assumed or understood were sins that Shlomo Karbach perpetuated. He was hugging women. I mean, there was a lot of, I'm not going to get into the personality of Shlomo Karbach, but he, he wasn't happy about how Rip Shlomo carried himself. And he refused to shake his hand. And it was, caused a huge uproar in the pizza store. And Rip Shlomo, in the end, did some form of tshuva. He looked down, the man reported, and he was silent for a very long time. And then he looked up with tears in his eyes. And he said, what is the essence of tshuva? What's called tshuva tata in, the, in this farm? He said, I regret everything I ever did wrong. I don't want to ever return to sinning again. And I'm truly sorry. Now, people like to interpret that story to mean that Rishlomo was admitting that what he did were sins or the other way around that he was just pandering to the man. I don't think either of those things are true personally. I think Rishlomo was a complex person and he did what he felt was right. And he was doing tshuva to the degree that he was doing tshuva. You know, each of us can be doing the right thing, what we know to be right, but there can be layers of wrong even when we know that we're doing the right thing. And when it came to Shlomo Karbach, that's infinitely more complicated. Nonetheless, uh, after Shlomo did tshuva, the man gave him a hug and they sat together and they made peace and they were singing and they were farbringing in the pizza store. And then Shlomo had to leave to catch an airplane. And a couple hours later, the man got a phone call that Shlomo Karbach had passed away or it was all over, you know, everywhere that Shlomo Karbach had passed away on the plane, which is a very powerful story, very powerful story for a lot of different reasons. Reasons and there are many story, there are many lessons you can draw from that. But what's really powerful about this story is about what it says about tshuva, which is that tshuva happens in an instant. Like Chazal say that a person can be koina elamo b'sha'achas. A person can earn his entire next world, the world to come. He can do a full and complete tshuva. He can go from being a being a complete and total rasha to being a complete and total tzaddik in an instant. And the question that that brings up is how? How is that possible? Anyone who's engaged the process of spiritual development knows that it takes a lot of time. It takes time to develop yourself, to grow yourself. How is it possible that tshuva can just happen just like that? Now, another thing that this highlights about tshuva, and this is related, we did a Light Revealed post about this, the Alter Rebbe talks about in Yaris tshuva in Tanya, that Hashem is very preoccupied with tshuva. He loves tshuva. He can't help himself but forgive. And that, in fact, when a person earnestly does the three stages of tshuva, which is charata, azivas achet, or azivas achet, charata, and vidui, that he's fully forgiven, and he's literally a tzaddik. And oftentimes it's brought down, the Gemara that discusses a case where a man says to a woman, I marry you on condition that I'm a tzaddik gamar, a complete tzaddik. And the Gemara brings down that they are, in fact, married. If that man, even if that man was a Russia, was a, a truly wicked person. Why? So the Gemara answers the reason why there's a questionable status on this marriage, that it could be a legitimate marriage, is because maybe in the moment that the person said, I marry you on condition that I'm a complete and total tzaddik, maybe they had a true hearer tshuva. Maybe they had a true thought of tshuva, of repentance, and therefore... In a moment where a person has a true moment of repentance, they are literally a tzaddik gummer. They are a total and complete righteous saint. Now that seems to like spit in the face of everything we know about personal development, which is that it takes time and energy and effort. So what is tshuva? Now, I'm not denying the idea that Judaism demands and encourages us to develop ourselves and to work on ourselves, and also that when we have these kind of momentary feelings of tshuva, that we can relapse, so to speak, into old behavior. But what is tshuva? What does this tell us about tshuva? And perhaps how can that inform our attitude and perspective about Yom Kippur, which is a really scary day? You know, 
commented many times that it's odd that Jews are so preoccupied with Yom Kippur, even non-observant Jews. It's a weird thing if, you know, you would think that a non-observant Jew would pick like Purim, Hanukkah, Shavuos. Shavuos is an awesome holiday. You don't like not most non-observant Jews are not necessarily paying a lot of attention to Shavuos. And yet they all almost across the board, pay attention to Yom Kippur, a day where we fast and we repent. Why is Yom Kippur such a critical day, such a critical moment in the Jewish consciousness and the Jewish calendar that keeps us coming back? What is tshuva, specifically as relates the tshuva that's occurring on Yom Kippur, and what does it tell us about life? So there's another discussion in the Talmud about how Yom Kippur works. And one of the things it says is that, well, the discussion is about whether the the tshuva that a person does in Yom Kippur, the prayers that he does, the achit that he claps, the vidoy that he says, which are penitent prayers that we say where we disclose and delineate all of our different sins, is what generates the cleansing that occurs in Yom Kippur, or whether the essence of the day is what does that. And the commentators explain that even within the discrepancy, even within the machlokas, the argument, everyone agrees that the essence of the day is machaper, the essence of the day is what creates the cleansing, but rather the discussion is whether a person has to actually engage in the activities of the day, predominantly fasting, that's actually the most important activity, but also the prayers, or whether the essence of the day on its own, without any effort on the part of the person, is what creates this cleansing. Now, what that tells us is that the kapara of Yom Kippur, the focus, the function, the idea, the objective of Yom Kippur, and to some degree the idea of tshuva, has something to do with this idea of etzem hayom, the essence of the day. And that leads us to the question is, what is the essence of the day? And what does it tell us about tshuva? Okay, so we asked a lot of questions, which is okay, I guess. Um, but, but let's try to get some answers. Okay, so the, we started off by talking about this idea of being close to God versus not close to God, or removing that which creates blockage or disconnection from God. And how is that possible considering that, you know, we're more connected than we could even imagine. And to understand this, part of what we have to do, I think, and this is an idea I heard this week, which really, really blew my mind. It's not so wild in its novelty, but it's just very clear and very specific and really kind of opened the door um, to a different understanding. Okay, so everything that exists, we know, operates on two levels. There's the interior and then there's the the exterior. There's that which is pnimi and that which is chitzoni. There's that which is essential and then there's that which is actual. And really in a certain way, there's that that, that is very core and essential and maybe not as conscious. And then there's that which is being experienced, observed, and engaged with at the conscious level. Part of the goal in Judaism is to take that which is interior and give it expression in the exterior. Now, sometimes that which is interior is what's going on in our thoughts, and we want to take our thoughts and give them expression in, in action. We want to draw connectedness between our kavana and our maisa. And that's really a lot of the idea behind Torah and mitzvot, behind the whole idea of fulfilling mitzvot, uh, is to create an avenue to give expression to the interiority in the exteriority. But now, just as our thoughts, our conscious thoughts can be the interior of our mitzvos, right? They can be just as our actions are the keli of the or that is our thoughts. In the interior of our being, there is also 
an interior and an exterior. There is also kalim, vessels, and light. There is also actual and essential, right? Essential would be those things we know to be true, but aren't necessarily in our conscious thoughts. Now, we're not talking about the unconscious here. We're just talking about that which I know at the core of my being, at my gut, to know that something is true, and yet I'm not actively thinking about it or maybe not paying enough attention to it. And then there's what I'm paying attention to. And what Hasidus tells us is that even though on the deepest level, we are essentially connected to God and could not be disconnected from God, that our connection to God goes deep down into the essence of our being, into stripping away all the layers of self. What you'd find there at its core is godliness, is our neshama, our nefesh kiss, our godly soul, on the conscious level and on many levels in between our essential self and our conscious thoughts, feelings, awarenesses, etc., disconnection is very much possible. Now, where this gets really important to think about is that we're not just talking about the fact that in theory, I can feel disconnected from God, even though I'm very connected to God. What we're saying is that a human being, what Hasidus, what Panimi teaches us, is that a human being has different expressions. There's who I am at the essential level, and then there's who I am as I exist in the world, or as I operate, or as I play out my life in actuality in the world. So even though at the essential level, I am totally and completely and entirely connected, at the conscious level, I can very much be disconnected. And that disconnection oftentimes relates to my behavior, to how I behave and where I put my focus. And part of what Hasidus teaches us is that because both of those things are true, because the dialectic is in actuality, the disconnection, the lack of connectedness, is also real. Even though the connectedness, the universal, unconditional connectedness, is also real. So that I can be, in reality, both connected and disconnected at the same time. So therefore, tshuva, which stands for tashuv hey, because tshuva is spelled tuf, shin, vav, vez, hey, right? So it's tashuv hey, returning the hey, meaning a reunion between God and his people, between God and the individual. A lot of that is creating a symbiotic relationship between what exists at my most essential level and what exists at my conscious level. It's removing the areas of disconnection that are existent on, in my conscious self and drawing out the connectedness that exists on my essential self, thereby creating a yichud, a unity between my externalized self, my most external self, and my most internal self, right? Because ultimately the essence of tshuva is right action, right? So there's right action, there's right thoughts, there's a right attitude slash right feelings, and then there's what exists at the essential level. As I bring alignment to those things, I create an actualized connectedness with God on a real level. And by extension, I create a dira betachtonim. I create a space for God's essence to exist in this lower world, which has a lot to do with the power of tshuva. But going back to what we were talking about before, the context that we're trying to draw our minds to is the idea that tshuva is this creating of alignment between our essential reality and our actualized experiential reality. We're trying to create conscious contact to remove conscious disconnect 
in order so that our conscious self is living in the same universe as our essential self. And therefore, tshuva ultimately is trying, attempting to return to a state of conscious connection through right action, but also through a shift in attitude and perspective, changing the way we think about our past behavior, abandoning that old way of life, admitting that we made a mistake, that we acted beneath ourselves with a firm resolve to behave differently in the future. Like for real, like if I'm in that place, I'm not, I'm going, I'm fully committed to not behaving that way. Now I've changed something. Something has changed. Well, what do you mean? Nothing changed. You were connected to God before. You're connected to God now. You have a pintaliyid. You have a, a Jewish spark of holiness inside of you. What changed? What changed is my conscious self. How I feel, how I look at the world, not just like how I feel about the world, but my attitude and perspective on reality, the way in which I engage the world. I change. My I, the person who shows up on a day-to-day basis, changes becomes renewed, becomes refreshed. Most acutely because we are bringing expression on an externalized level to our essence. Now, the essence piece sounds a lot like what we were talking about before, the itsuma shalyom achaper. And one of the really beautiful ideas that you see in the writings of Chassidus is that the discussion in the Gemara about whether Itsuma Shalyom is Machaper, whether the essence of the day is what brings about the cleansing or whether it requires tshuva, is really a question about what is necessary in order for a Jew to tap into the essence that is available on Yom Kippur. Not the essence of the day of Yom Kippur itself, but the idea that that Machlokas in the Gemara is alluding to is one that Yom Kippur is a day where essence is available. Not so much or not only the essence of the day, but the essence of the individual is accessible to them, which is partially related to why we wear white clothes, why we say the second part of Shema, Baruch Shem Kod Machos out loud instead of not out loud, because we're on an angelic level. Our essence is revealed. And the question is, is it necessary for a person to do tshuva in in order to tap into that essence level, or is the essence level available? But no matter whether, which side of the argument you end up on, Yom Kippur is about essence because tshuva is about essence. It's about bringing the different parts of ourselves into an aligned space, not running away from who we were the day before Yom Kippur or the day after, but rather creating a circumstance where the essence of our being, that angelic space or that which exists above the angels, the soul of the Jewish people, also has expression in this world. Now that part doesn't take any time at all. That part is a pure tzaddik, going back to that Gemara about the person who promises to marry, to be married to the woman, if he's a pure tzaddik. Because you see, He's not saying if I was a pure tzaddik being somebody else, but if I was actually my truest self, if my conscious self became aligned with my truest self, then that's where I would be. And you see that kind of return to our essential self, that alignment between our consciousness and what is true at the core doesn't take a lot of time. Repairing, you know, problems that have emerged in our personality takes time, takes training takes evolution, but returning to our essential self takes an instant. And that's where we want to get to on Yom Kippur, to strip away the layers, to stand before God, exposed and vulnerable, just as ourselves, so we can start the year without any of the fluff. 
any of the fakeness, only true authenticity. And then from there we get busy with mitzvahs, with the sukkah, the lulav, and the esrog, and most importantly, joy, the mitzvah of happiness. Gemar chasimah tova, good geben blessed year with abundance in every aspect of your life, material, spiritual, interior, exterior, essential and conscious for you, for all those you love, overflowing for the whole Jewish people. Thanks for listening to the Consciously Podcast. Consciously is a project of The Living Room, which is a division of Our Place New York, and made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family, in memory of Tzipora Basravaro. The host of Consciously is Menachem Posnansky. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We sincerely welcome and appreciate your feedback, so please feel free to email us or on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Oh, <laughs>